Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast you really don't want to miss. I'm Suzanne Harris, and today you're going to get a sneak peek behind the scenes at what it's like to be an author. You're going to hear the backstory behind the book. They'll tell you who or what inspires them. You may even find out where their ideas come from. And who knows, you might even get a scoop about a new project. If you want to know more about them and more about their work, then we'll tell you where to find them on social media. Joining me today is Conrad Grin. He's a true scholar, and he's here to talk about his book, Greek slash Hebrew Parallel Old Testament English Translation. Now, Conrad graduated with a Master's of Arts degree in exegenical theology from Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. He translates Hebrew scriptures, that's Old Testament, from Greek into English and from Hebrew into English. Conrad, I am so pleased to talk to you today. You are a true scholar. I've I've read what you do, and I find it absolutely amazing. Welcome to Books on Air. Well, thank you. Now, I know that you have not always been a theological scholar. Where did this whole thing start with Greek and Hebrew and the scriptures? Well, I've been, you know, reading scriptures since I learned to read. Um, it actually affected my speech at the dinner table. So they will they pass the butter. They said, okay, time to take the Bible away for a second or two. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I just, I grew up and had a family and, um, I was really interested in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and in the, I'd say the mid-90s, they were released. A group of scholars was kind of keeping them under wraps, and they, they just kind of released them and opened them up to everybody. Uh, they had a couple um, symposiums here in Portland, and I would listen to them in the summertime, and it's like they got me really fired up to um, dig deeper in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, you know, because it's, it's scripture that's, in some cases, several hundred or even a thousand years older than any previously known copies. And that, that just fascinated me as to what changes could have occurred in that time and all that kind of stuff. So so they encouraged me to uh, to take a few classes, and I took a few classes, and I, I started out with Hebrew. I, I would recommend you don't start out with Hebrew because <laughs> it's so foreign to uh, our way of communicating and all that, that uh, it, it, you probably wouldn't rather start with Greek. But anyway, I did start with Hebrew, and I was only taking classes to um, to get more familiar with uh, both the Hebrew and the Greek uh, languages. And finally, this, this uh, um, mentor came by and said, uh, you actually need to declare for a degree. You've taken enough classes that, uh, that that's a requirement. I says, well, I don't I don't want a degree. I'm just studying. And says, let me give you a list of what you know what classes are required to get a degree. And I discovered that I already had them all except for about five classes in in theology. So I said, well, if I'm that close to a degree, I might as well just get it. So I so I studied some theology and some other things to go along with it. Um, but that's that's how I got started. And in one of my classes. They, you had to know both Hebrew and Greek because the nature of the class was you're translating, you know, a chapter 
out of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures from Greek and from Hebrew, and then you compare them. And they were chapters selected by the instructor, and he would illustrate how uh, Greek culture and Greek influence got, got, uh, influenced the Greek translation and how that became actually how the the, the uh, version that the Christian church used. So really it, it kind of laid the groundwork for an understanding of the New Testament and that sort of thing. So anyway, I was taking this class, and I'm not wanting to cheat. I want to do my work and everything and understand it. But I went to the instructor and said, hey, you know, um, where's where's the answer key? Where's where's uh, What book can I pick up that, that has these chapters already translated so I can compare my work to them? And he says, well, that hasn't been done. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, what? And he says, no, nobody's ever done that except for Origen back in, what, the early, you know, 4th or 5th century. I forget what century he operated in, but a long time ago. He had a six-column uh, uh, translation showing the Hebrew and the Greek. And uh, he says, nothing's been done since then. I says, you're kidding me. He says, well, you know, I've been watching you in class. He says, I, th I think you should start that. And I says, yeah, right. He says, no, I'm serious. Why don't you just start and see how far you get? So, I mean, he kept on encouraging me to do that. So after the class, I started working on Genesis. And it took me about six years to do Genesis. And I said, so either I got to pick up the pace or start <laughs> living a whole lot healthier than I have been because I'm never going to finish it at this pace. So I, I learned to pick the pace up a little bit and get things done a little faster. But it, that, that's how I got started. I find this amazing. Are you a minister? Are you connected with a church? Or is this simply scholarly research on your part because you're interested in this? Uh, it's just scholarly research on my part. Um, I um, I think being a minister is a very high calling, and uh, I I have spoken, maybe given a couple sermons here and there, but um, I feel that that's a greater responsibility than I'm ready to shoulder because we're talking about people's you know eternal welfare, and I don't want to lead somebody down the wrong path. <laughs> so, um, but um, yeah, it's it's just interest sake and I, I do go to church i go to three or four churches and some of the this this is entirely entirely unwarranted because they know a whole lot more about scripture than i do but sometimes they get kind of nervous when they see me sitting there <laughs> they might even call me out and say so conrad do you think that no 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 i don't you know i'm not i'm not any kind of expert on you know it's just you know but, but it's, it's just human nature but yeah it's um it's just personal interest on my part and i i i thought about becoming a pastor and to be serious to be honest it's just that's that's a big responsibility so i agree I haven't done that. <laughs> yeah i agree how long have you been working on this how many years uh, i think i started around 2002 2003 somewhere in there almost 20 years ago wow. and how far have you gotten well i have i have translated um Let's see, I've translated these six books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then the small ones, Ruth and Joan and Habakkuk, to get the count up a little bit. Uh, and I've translated Numbers, and uh, I'm nearly through the book of Daniel, which I, if I don't know how difficult that was going to be, I'm not sure I would have started, but I, I'm two-thirds of the way through, so I can't quit. <laughs> no, you but, can't. You're right. Now, how does this work? <laughs> Do you have things, you talked about, a six-column translation. 
how does your translation work? How, do, how does the book work? Well, so what I do is I use the most basic, the most straightforward, and the most authoritative versions of the, or edition of the Hebrew Bible, and the most authoritative edition of the of the Greek Old Testament, and um, I translate them individually, uh, chapter by chapter. And then when I when I finish each chapter, I go back, and my goal is to make them read as literally as possible, and to make them read alike whenever possible so that you know if a given hebrew word can mean four or five different things usually only one or two of those is going to make sense in that passage and then conversely with the greek you know if 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 the the parallel word can mean the same thing i'll, I'll often use the same word to translate the, them both so that the uh, a reader that doesn't know either one can say oh the hebrew and the greek here are either identical or they're very close and in some cases, uh, in some cases, they're not even in the same county. <laughs> wow! How so interesting. That, that, yeah, that's that's the goal is to is to let the reader see how they compare. And I've looked I've looked at other parallel Bibles. In fact, I was just looking at one yesterday. I think it was, uh, and they they tend not to line things up like I do. I, I want the reader to tell at a glance without even looking at the words. Hey, there's a, there's a space, there's a white space on the Hebrew side that's not there in the Greek, and that that alerts them without even reading the words. There's something missing here in the Hebrew that is in the Greek, or vice versa, and it can look like a you know Swiss cheese thing on in some passages, but but it just helps you see at a glance. Oh, I can tell these two are very similar, and then when you read the text, you can see they they may even be identical. In some cases, many cases they are. And in some cases, like, whoa, this verse got moved five verses down here in the Hebrew. It's still there. It's just in a different place and, and, and that sort of thing. And it helps, it helps get a better understanding of the development of the Bible, of the Old Testament, that is. Um, because you can see, I, I mean, when, when you're saying at the outset, this, there are several different editions of the Greek Bible several different editions of the Hebrew Bible, but I'm making sure that I'm using the ones that are recognized by authorities all over the world as being the best ones, the most authoritative ones. I really don't have time to mess with with the hundreds of others that are out there. <laughs> right. That would make it, that, I mean, it would be a hundred years to try to translate all these if you took all of the different translations into consideration. That makes perfect sense to me. Uh-huh. Now, I can see these side by side, and then I know that we brought the Dead Sea Scrolls into this. And I saw the words in the description of the book, Dead Sea Scroll Variants. What does that mean? Well, um, sometimes the Dead Sea Scroll, like for example, the Great Isaiah Scroll has the complete book of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah of Isaiah from chapter 1 through the end of chapter 66, um, and there's like, I want to say about 1,300 differences between that text and the Hebrew text that we use today. Uh, in many cases, it's just a difference in spelling or, you know, orthography, that, that kind of thing. But, but sometimes there's, there can be a significant variant. Um, another example, like in Exodus, uh, with the Ten Plagues, the Dead Sea Scrolls will have sometimes an additional paragraph because 
God will tell Moses, okay, here's what you go and tell Pharaoh about this next plague that's coming up. And he'll give him a one or two paragraph description of what he wants him to say. And then, and then in our Bibles, it's assumed that he says those things to Pharaoh because he goes and meets with Pharaoh and Pharaoh gets all upset. And then the next plague starts. But the, the, this one particular Dead Sea Scroll repeats the words that God told Moses to say. And it says, and Moses told Pharaoh, and then you get the whole two paragraphs all over again. And and it leaves no doubt in the reader's mind. Well, I guess I guess Moses told him every word verbatim, just like he told him to tell him. And some some scribe probably came along and said, you know, we don't need all this duplication. We're going to make the reader go to sleep. So they just leave that out. Um, so it's it's differences in um, omitted words or added words. Uh, sometimes just spelling differences, and sometimes and and in my I have a I have a chart in the back of my translation that list has a column for this because I'm identifying for the reader. Does this variant make any difference in the Hebrew, in the English text? And if the answer is no, I assign it an importance number of like zero because it really has no importance. And you know, it, it's little, it's grammatical things sometimes, like a masculine or a feminine noun. Well. You know, if the word is going to be translated the same in English, we don't have different words for a masculine ship versus a feminine ship or a masculine flower or a feminine flower. Um, so um, that's that's the kind of differences there are. That makes so much sense. And I've I've watched. Of course, there are little shows, thirty minute, an hour on the on the National Geographic Channel and on. Um, the Smithsonian Channel, and they've done productions around the Dead Sea Scrolls, around the current research, around how uh, they're preserving them. They're continuing to look to see if there are additional scrolls hidden somewhere in the desert, the same way that they found the the original Dead Sea Scrolls. It's just so interesting. Yeah, they just found some, and I think it was in March or April, they found some new fragments of Zephaniah, and uh, there were two books, I don't remember what they were, but they were fragments that they had, that were attached to scrolls they had previously, they had the, they had the mother scroll, <laughs> I'll call it, but these little fragments were, were hidden in the dirt, and we went, went back through and sifted, and it's, it adds up to a couple of verses in one book and a couple of verses in another book, and they can now add those passages those those fragments to the to the scroll and, and attach it where it's supposed to be, and and they use computers to sort things out, you know, to line to line things up and kind of it it really helps helps them. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, and if you've got if you've got it's like having like ten, well maybe say fifteen or twenty different uh, jigsaw jigsaw puzzles all jumbled together in a box. First, you've got to figure out which scroll or which puzzle it attaches to, and then you can put it together. So <laughs> when they're all jumbled together like that. It's fascinating to watch what they're doing and to look at, at the way the research is being done. And you're right. They're tiny. Some, in some cases, these are tiny fragments. And you've really got to be a person that can see how things fit together. I mean, as I was watching this, I thought, I cannot imagine being the person who's trying to put all of this together and figure out exactly what piece goes with what. 
another yeah. thing that it seems to me is that because of, of your doing something like this, don't you think that this would enhance a reader's understanding of cultures, the Jewish and the Greek culture, and their history and language? Yeah, it, it really does. Um, there's there's an example, one, one example that I would, well, I could cite a couple, but one example is, okay, so before the, you know, before the Babylonians captured, you know, the, the Jews and took them back to Babylon, they had a problem with idolatry. They would worship stones and rocks and this and that and the other thing. And, and after they'd suffered in Babylon for a few decades and, and succeeding generations, you know, their, their leaders, their rabbis were telling them, you know, this happened to us because we didn't listen to what God said. And he said, don't worship anyone else besides me. Uh, and so they learned their lesson, and they stopped worshiping all these other things, and they learned it so well that, you know, in the Hebrew passage, you know, uh, David will say, the Lord is my rock, you know, he is my fortress, or whatever. Well, the, you know, by the time the Greek translation was made, the Jews weren't going to say the Lord is my anything. He He is the Lord, he's one God, there's no one else beside him. He's not a rock. He's not a tree. He's not anything else like that. So, so the the Greek translator would say, "The Lord is my strength." They took the word "rock" out because they didn't want the reader to compare the Lord to a rock, and so they they would change it to something else. So there's that cultural change of a uh, change in Jewish thinking uh, that you see over and over through the Psalms and other places. Uh, then there's there's uh, also cultural differences like, well, anything as simple as uh, what coin is used. You know, so uh, you might have a passage in the Hebrew Bible that says, you know, he paid 30 pieces of silver. So let's say he paid 30 talents. Well, most people don't know what a talent is, except maybe it's something you're good at. Right. <laughs> That's actually where yeah. that word actually comes from. Um, but uh, it comes from the Bible. But but the, the, on the Greek side, you'll say uh, 30 drachmas or 30 didrachmas, which a didrachma is two drachmas. And coin collectors, I mean, I've got a friend at work. He showed me, I showed him my translation, and he showed me a, a Greek a drachma from 300 B.C., and it was in very good condition. I showed it, you know, took it to my desk and showed it to me. It it kind of anchors you to a different understanding because, you know, basically, basically the the story is that um, uh, when when the Greek scholars were putting together this uh, fantastic library in Alexandria, they said, "Hey, Jews, uh, if you'll translate your." Uh, Hebrew scriptures into Greek, we can include those in our library. And hey, so Jews, really? No. <laughs> hey, hey, you guys up north, you know, I mean, because this is Alexandria, Egypt, and the and the Jews, you know, up north in Palestine. So, what, a few days journey. So, yeah, yeah. So they're saying we're building this wonderful library, but one thing is the people that are going to check these scrolls out don't have a clue how to read Hebrew. So, would you mind translating this into Greek for us? And that's the story, the tradition is that's how it came to be. And it's called the Septuagint, which means 70, because 36 groups of two scholars each in each group created 36 different uh, translations of the Old Testament, of the Jewish Old Testament, into Greek. And when you looked at them, all 36 copies were word for word the same. So then they knew it was a divine inspired. I mean, this is the tradition. This is the lore behind it. 
and there's probably some element of truth to that. Most most good stories have a core of of truth to it, <laughs> and it's very possible that that's why the Greek translation came to be. But that's why they called it seventy. And so when I first heard that, I says, well, okay, if there's thirty six groups and each one has two people, isn't that seventy two? Unless I learned my math wrong. He says, yeah. Just go with it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 72 is close enough. That's why they call it Septuagint, because it's 70. So that's how it got its name. But, um, yeah. This is just fascinating. You're, you're so good at this, and you just got, I mean, you are a true scholar. Would you like to share a part of the book with the listeners? Uh, there's a passage that, that I would that I would like to read to you it's it's a if if people don't know the story it's the story of um, joseph who's one of 12 sons jacob's had 12 sons and that's where the 12 tribes of israel come from Uh, and he jacob favored joseph and gave him a coat of many colors and all these other things so his brothers hated him threw him in a pit and they were going to kill him and then the slave traders came along he was sold into slavery and went down to egypt and Accused of rape by his master's wife. I mean, it's a it's a very involved story, but uh, ends up in prison. And then after that, the pharaoh elevates him to be number two in the entire kingdom. So now he's second in command for the most powerful kingdom on the earth at that time. And um, there's a famine. The brothers come down to get grain, and he reveals who he is to them. And they and um, and and pharaoh says, "Well, why don't you? I'll give you some wagons, and you could." send them back up north and bring your father back down so he can see you before he dies. So that's the that's the backdrop for what I'm going to read here. So the sons of Israel did this. This is reading from Genesis 45, verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Yosef gave them wagons according to the command of the mouth of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. To all of them he gave each man changes of robes. But to Binyamin, he gave 300 silver pieces and five changes of robes. And to his father, he sent this, 10 male donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with clean grain and bread and food for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they left. And he said to them, do not get upset along the way. And they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Yaakov, their father. And they reported to him, saying, Yosef still lives, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart was numb, for he did not believe them. But they spoke to him all the words of Yosef that he spoke to them, and he saw the wagons that Yosef had sent to carry him back. And the spirit of their father, Yaakov, revived. Then Yisrael said, Enough! My son Yosef still lives. I will go and see him before I die. And that's that's how that ends. And of course, that was on the Hebrew side. The Greek side is very similar. It's just to, on the other column here. But I, I thought the uh, the Hebrew was particularly forceful there. I agree. Or interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think this is just a fat. I mean, I've enjoyed our discussion so very much, and I I think perhaps our our listeners are saying to themselves, "All right, where can I find the book?" And I want to direct them, of course, to Amazon. Um, it's just Amazon.com, and when you get to that page, the their home page, it, it's always a little intimidating if you've never been there or if you've never done this for the first time. 
there's just a, a large sort of a gray box that's a search box. And if you'll type in the name of the book, and let me give you the name of the book, and let me spell Conrad's name for you. The name of the book is Greek backslash Hebrew parallel Old Testament English translation by Conrad C-O-N-R-A-D, the letter R, period, Gren, G-R-E-N. And if you click on that, it takes you right to the book, and you can read a summary about the book, and you can order it right there on that page. Is there somewhere else, Conrad, if, if people don't want to go to Amazon, is there somewhere else they could find the book? Um, yeah, another location is the publisher that published this, and that would be Westboro. Uh, it's W-E-S-T-B-O-W-P-R-E-S-S. That's all one word. Uh, dot com, and you could find it there as well. And I would just uh, I, I'm lazy, so I've learned that if I just type my last name G R E N, this is pretty much the only thing that's going to pop up. <laughs> <laughs> So, if you know, if, you know, if they want to type all the other stuff out, they can. But I, I tried this, and I typed my last name G R E N because, like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit on the lazy side of when it comes to entering more than I need to, <laughs> and that it, that usually brings us up. And that is an unusual last name, so I can see that that would happen. Now, you also have a website. Let's tell our listeners a little about your website. Um, yeah, there's a website called. Uh, grenbible.com it's g r e n b i b l e.com and in there uh, there's some samples of of my translation so that you can see compare maybe some passages and compare them to a bible that you're more familiar with and see how see how they compare um, and that's that's pretty much what's on that website uh is there one other thing i could mention always about um, you were talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. The other piece that's important to me is uh, New Testament use of the Old Testament. And and the thing is, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, so most of the time when they're translating from the Old Testament, they translate from the Greek Old Testament, which kind of makes sense. <laughs> you just cut and paste or, you know, and, and put it in there. If you're going to use Hebrew, like Paul often did, and he, he was a scholar and he you know, either one was equally easy for him, but most of them were fishermen and didn't really know much about Hebrew, to be honest. Um, oftentimes what happens, see, our, in our Bible, if you pick up a Bible off the shelf and buy it at a store or whatever, uh, the Old Testament is translated from the Hebrew because that is the original language, and the New Testament is translated from the Greek because that's the original language. But sometimes... As an example, in Acts 13:41, it, it, you know Paul is quoting the Old Testament in Habakkuk, and if you go back to Habakkuk and says, "Go to such and such," you know this is where this comes from, and you look that up in the Old Testament, it doesn't appear to be the same passage, because the difference between the Hebrew and Greek is so amazing, and you know, and he quoted from the Greek Old Testament, not the Hebrew Old Testament. If you have my, if you look that up in my column. In my book, you're going to see where the differences came in and why it is that the New Testament quote is so different from the Old Testament. It's because the Old Testament was in a different language, and they 
something got lost in the translation there. And, and so for each one of those usages, um, I, uh, I have a note explaining in detail. And for somebody that knows Hebrew and Greek, in the, in the notes, I will have the Hebrew and the Greek, and you can study it to your heart's content. And the interesting thing is, is those are the two drivers for my translation, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the New Testament use of the Old Testament. And it so happens that the five books um, in the Old Testament that they found the most copies of the Dead Sea Scrolls are are Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. And I don't know if this is happenstance or to, or maybe there's something behind this, but the um, five books that are quoted in the New Testament from the Old Testament, the most common quotes come from Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah, the same five books. So I have to make sure I translate those five before I before I pass. And I've got three down, no, two down, three to go. So <laughs> Fascinating. Conrad, who do you think the audience is for your book? When you were writing it, who was in your head that was going to read it? Um, I would say the individuals that want to get I think of I think of God's word as a radio message to to humanity and he's trying to tell us what he wants us to know so that we can live our lives better so we can share with others and so we can all meet together and see him. Uh and I believe my translation is just kind of fine tuning the reception so it comes in a little more clearly. In other words, the original message that that was that he transmitted to these to these prophets, to these writers, and they wrote these things down. Over over the centuries, they some things have gotten a little bit cloudy here and there, not not dramatically so, but enough so that it the the meaning might not be as clear. And so I'm just trying to fine tune the reception for for the radio message. I like that. Now, when our listeners become readers and they buy a copy of the book and and they read the book, let's say cover to cover. When they finish and they either physically close the back cover for the last time or they turn off their device for the last time, what's the bottom line message? What do you want that person to leave with after they finish the book? I would like them to have a better understanding of how the Bible came into our hands, how it, you know, a little bit of the understanding of the history of how it got there, and I would like them to again better understand the message that that God is trying to give us and and not have it clouded over and by archaic language or or uh passages that might have uh, accidentally fallen out that sort of thing. I'll tell you, this has just been such a fascinating discussion. You're such a true scholar, and I can tell from the passion in your voice how important this is to you. And I want to say thank you for sharing the book with us and for being our guest today on Books on Air. Well, thank you. Remember, you can find Conrad's book, Greek slash Hebrew Parallel Old Testament English Translation, by Conrad, C-O-N-R-A-D, R period, Grin, G-R-E-N, on Amazon. And he says, if you just put Grin in that search feature, it'll come right up.
We'd like to thank you. You've been listening to Books on Air. The podcast is brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I so hope that you'll join me for the next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening.